Hey, everybody. Welcome back for season two of the Broken Banquet podcast. This season, we've got more interviews with missionaries around the world, more interviews with authors who have written amazing books about missions, and more conversations about what it means for us to abide with one another. And yes, probably a story or two about Ashley taking a walk, eating food, or having drinks with someone who she now loves. We're so glad you're back. We're glad to be back. And we hope that you will enjoy this episode. Hey, Ashley. Hey, Will. How are you? Very fine, thanks. A little cold. A little too cold here. A little cold. Yeah, I was going to ask if you were frozen. We've had these this ice on the ground, solid sheet of ice on our roads uh, for the last few days, and hopefully by the time the listeners are listening to this, that it will all be gone. I hope so, because that sounds terrible. Yeah, we couldn't even go out like build a snowman, or there's been a lot of people sledding. Oksana Bayul, who used to be the Russian skater, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Olympic skater, she now lives in Freeport. And of course, uh, she does. of course she does. And she's been out uh, filming herself ice skating on all the roads. And it's been really fun to watch. Yeah. Why Why on earth does Oksana Bayul live in Shreveport, Louisiana? No idea. No idea. But it's awesome. I, I had heard that like a year or so ago, um, but I, I never clicked in my mind. I, I don't know. So anyway, it's been fun to see her. They, of course, shown her videos on the news. And um, now I'm following her on Instagram and just watching all the things. So I'm going to Google it. I want to know. Okay. And I'm sure all of our Broken Banquet podcast listeners want to know why she lives in Shreveport. <laughs> well, if you find out, let me know. Yeah. I'll, let you, I'll give you an update on our next episode. We need to invite my, her to the church, my... especially when Olga and Eager are around. Let's say it might be a little bit easier for you to find out why she lives in your neighborhood, but I'll work on it anyway. <laughs> okay. Hi, thanks, Chris Franca. Yeah, we're good. We're good. We have our first team of the year here. Of course, we're recording this on Wednesday, January 17th. So our very first team of 2024 came in on Saturday, and we all went to Santa Marta for worship and communion on Sunday, which was awesome. They were the first church to work in that community last year. And it was just a really special day. The first thing that we got to do was we stopped and visited a friend of ours on our way to church who has just started camp retreatment. And he's someone that everybody on this team knows from past trips here and has been a big part of this ministry for a long time. And and so for us to get to go by the house that morning and just spend a little bit of time with him and see all those hugs and smiles and, and some tears, but it was just it's, it speaks to the depth of these relationships. And then when we got to Santa Marta and started getting off the bus, immediately a bunch of the people who were there last year saw some of the ladies who had been around when they were there last year and you know ran up and hugged them. And, and again, the construction work is fun and it's a blessing for the church. But to see those connections and that happiness and the joy on people's faces and to be able to celebrate those kinds of moments and then also be a support for one another during the tougher moments is just that's that's it. That's what we're here for. So um, that was what a great way to start off 
2024. You know? Absolutely. That's that's kind of the whole reason we've done this podcast, right, is to mm-hmm. see the value and importance of relationships and, and how much uh, bringing together the body of Christ can enrich all of us. So what a beautiful testament to that, Will. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. 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 Can't wait to get down there myself. I know. It won't be long. March. It'll be warm. I like warm. (laughs) It will be warm. That's for sure. (laughs) Well, who do we have on the podcast today, Will? So our interview was with Joyce McCarty. And Joyce is a friend of mine who I got to introduce you to. And at the time of our interview, she was on staff at one of our partner churches. She was my contact person at Church of the Resurrection in Kansas. And so we had her on just so we can talk a little bit about their missions structure and some of her insights about planning and preparing people for missions and their goals and that sort of thing. Since we did the interview, she is no longer in that position. So we're, we're airing it anyway because it was good and, and we loved the things that she had to say. Um, but just wanted to give everybody kind of a heads up that uh, she is not currently our contact person at Church of the Resurrection, but but we know folks are going to enjoy hearing from Joyce. It was such a pleasure to meet her, Will, and I thank you so much for introducing me to her. And listeners, I know you will feel the same way. So friends, meet Joyce. Joyce, meet Ashley. Ashley, meet Joyce. You all both know about one another because you're both friends of mine, and I talk about both of you to one another. And so I'm so glad to finally get the two of you in a room together, even if it's a virtual room. So Ashley, Joyce and I have been sort of working together for several years now. Joyce, why don't you... I'm sure I wouldn't get it exactly right if I tried to explain what your staff position is at your church. So would you tell us, just tell us who you are and Ashley, yes. I just, because we're recording now, I need you to go back and be as perky as you were and as excited as you were um, when you welcome Joyce. Okay. I can't. I can only do that once. So. (laughs) Okay. So. You've got to recover your week's mouth. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Maybe by the end of this thermos of coffee, there'll be some perk again. But So Joyce, who are you? Hey, I'm Joyce. I'm a seminarian, but I'm also a church staffer. And my role at Resurrection, a United Methodist Church, is the Latin America Program Director and the Disaster Response Program Director. They kind of smashed it together. Wait, wait. So how many people do you have on staff working in missions? Uh, There are four of us in the global department. Uh Wait, wait, wait. Say that again. There's four of you in the global department. Yeah. And local? And local, at least six. I think we just hired two people, plus we have an intern. So... And a lot of you have come to Costa Rica already, which is really cool. I mean, I think... Three of the global, right? You, Cherie, and Carol. And then this year, several of the local mission staff people came down with teams just to see what we were doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They've all loved it. So it's been really cool. Well, I want us to explore all that offline. 
Like, what is that? That would be great. I had just had to pray because my jealousy came through. And so I had to pray and confess that. And now we can go on. Okay. So that's hilarious that you say that because I have low-key been slightly jealous that you just get to go be friends with people. Oh. Like, that sounds so good <laughs> like to me. Like, you just get to go support people and encourage people. And I'm like, that sounds like the best job ever. <laughs> it is. It really is. Yeah. Joyce, why don't you give us a little bit of context? Obviously, your own staff at a, a ginormous church with a huge staff, you specifically have sort of been assigned to us because Costa Rica is in Latin America. But what is that kind of, how does your role connected to Costa Rica fit into the global missions sort of vision at Resurrection? That's a great question. Our goal is to engage people and also to do mission without like doing harm if that makes sense like one of wesley's three simple rules is like do no harm and so we're conscientious that in the past sometimes mission has done harm and so we're really trying to engage in a way that is faithful that is long term that is thoughtful and beneficial and mutual and so will is doing things really in a in a delightful way. And so we found him um, and we decided to start a very long process, I've been told, of like courting. And <laughs> we decided to become partners. <laughs> so it's like a two-year-long vetting process that involved phone calls, Zoom calls, personal visits, probably a background check and some references. I'm not sure about that part. But eventually that last hoop did get jumped through and teams started coming down and, and we're thankful for that. There was no background. Though. No background. There probably should have been. Well, I would, I would love, I mean, I don't know how much you know about that process, but that sounds like a fascinating process that maybe listeners of who at work at churches would want to hear about as far as what, what does that tangibly look like? Yeah, so we want to we want a clear picture of like what their what what the partner's mission is, like what their impact is in the community, and we want to know who they are as a person. So it's really important to us that they they kind of align with our ethos of mission, which is the, the do no harm thing first and foremost. And so Will definitely falls in that category. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> I was going to make a snarky comment and I didn't. So so the, uh, it Sometimes it takes two years, but not always. Um, that was just a complicated case. Yeah. Uh, you're a North American. Typically, we work with folks who are Costa Rican or Honduran because um, we like to empower local leaders. Yeah, I did want to mention that. And and I'm glad you brought it up because I, I was pretty sure that that's the case. Out of all of the different ministries around the world that Resurrection is connected to, we're the only one that's not led by a, a local person from that area. Yeah. And I'm not sure if marrying Yolanda is what sort of got me through or the fact that I've just, I've lived here for 20 years, but um, I know on the, on the, the bridging cultures podcast that you all do, which is really for me was one of the first steps in, in me sort of accepting the idea that maybe Ashley and I could do this one was when you all interviewed me for your podcast. And I just really enjoyed that whole process and thought that'd be kind of fun to do. But when I started listening through that first season, several episodes in, I realized 
how are they going to work me into this? Because it's all about empowering local leaders, empowering local leaders. And then all of a sudden it's going to be like, and then there's Will, this gringo in Costa Rica. But we're, we're grateful that, that you guys see the value in, in my being here and, and, and have affirmed that for us. For sure. And it's, Yolanda is a massive vote of confidence. So um, yeah, Yola for vetting, vetting Will for us. Um, but, um, it's actually more because we were looking for a family friendly option, a family friendly international mission opportunity where families could serve together. And Costa Rica is safe. You can drink the water. It's beautiful. And Will's doing things in a way that is just still in line with our ethos of mission, which was really a hard, sweet spot to find. So congratulations, Will. Yeah. I do feel like I completely hijacked the conversation and we never got to hear who you are. So no. <laughs> yeah, would you would you go back to it? You mentioned already that you're a seminarian. So can you go back to like little Joyce up to Joyce's in seminary and working at a church again? Uh like how far back do you want to go? How however far back you want to go. I know it's at one point you were in a, a punk rock band. Um I mean any of that kind of stuff that you wanna to offer up to the listeners, I'm sure they'd be happy to hear. Yeah. So I grew up in rural Illinois on a dairy farm. So like one of the things I love to tell people is I'm a certified bovine midwife. I can deliver baby cows uh, and take care of baby cows. <laughs> Um, You're the first guest we've had so far on The Broken Banquet that has that title. I don't know if it's a real title. I gave it to myself. <laughs> it is but, now. Yeah. In high school, I played bass in a punk rock band, and I had a lot of fun with that. And I had a lot of fun with hair dye, too, mostly. And um, we weren't really any good, but we had a good time. So. That's all that matters. punk rock's all about. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> And then I went to Bible college and majored in cross-cultural ministry. I kind of always knew that I wanted to do something missional. And I I don't know why. Maybe it was just hanging out with my dad. Um, my dad is a, a crazy Yahoo with chainsaws who would go around and just help people after storms. And like he took us down to Harvey. And so like we responded to that hurricane and I would just hand out water and like drag brush and stuff like that. So it was, yeah, it's just kind of always been who we are. Like, we look out for people. And how did you make the jump to Church of the Resurrection? So I was working for the United Methodist Conference in Missouri, and I saw that there was a job open at Church of the Resurrection, and it was for Latin American Mission. And my boyfriend, now husband, had just gotten back from Panama, and I was working on Spanish, and I was, like, really fascinated with, like, all of the cultural things he was telling me about Panama and Latin America and all of that. And I was like, you know, I think I would really love just engaging. And so like I took it, I gambled and I was like, maybe I'll know enough Spanish and maybe he'll just laugh in my face, but I want to <laughs> try this. And then I, I landed and it's kind of been my dream job. Truly. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and how, how long now have you been there? Uh, I started the week of COVID, like the week everybody went home from COVID. Yeah. Was, I've been there since 2020, March 2020. That's when I got married. So I got married in January, <laughs> right before COVID. So it just was like, yeah, congratulations. <laughs> I went perfectly. <laughs> Were you already in seminary when you started working at Resurrection? 
No. So I worked at Resurrection for a year before I started seminary. I wanted to kind of get a year under my belt and like meet all my partners and know maybe kind of what the heck I'm doing, even though I still feel like I don't know what the heck I'm doing. Um, Yeah, I decided I would give myself a year to settle in. But I knew seminary is something I wanted to do. I'm interested to know, I mean, I know what my seminary experience was like and the things that I thought I was going to seminary sort of for, and then the things that I realized while I was there, oh, this is what it's about. (laughs) What's been the biggest surprise for you about seminary? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's a good answer. (laughs) Okay, the systematic theology was painful for me. I'm like, we finally got to liberation theology and I was like, oh, thank God. Like something that resonates (laughs) because we sampled so many things and we've read so many people and I was just so overwhelmed. And then I finally like read some James Cone and I read some like um, Emily Towns and got into like this just no preferential option for the poor is like the gospel. And I was just like, oh, yes, that's who Jesus is. And to me, I was really surprised by that. Um, it, I didn't know that I would love it, but it just kind of clicked. I can't remember if I've confessed this before or not, Ashley, but I, one of my strongest memories from, I think it was systematic theology, was we would read somebody and I would think, oh my gosh, this is amazing. How can you put these kinds of things like into words that are understandable? This is incredible. And then I'd get to class the next day and they'd be like, okay, no, that guy you all read last night, he was a heretic. What? Yes. And the next day I would read something else and be like, oh, that's perfect. I get it. And then the next day, yep, that's another heretic. Um, so that's, I guess I'm just, anything that's well-written, I'm all in, whether it's, you know, heretical <laughs> or not, <laughs> I'm, I'm in. But. That's a good all question. Yeah. So what's been the most exciting, affirming thing? I think it's a combination of like finding my people because seminary for me has been all about like making connections in community with like other other people who are who are on this journey. But also just like finding like the confidence to find my voice has been really, really impactful just having professors that affirm that you have something to say and it's okay to say it. And it's okay if that other people don't agree with you, just say it anyway. It needs to be said. But that has been really good for me and really affirmed me in my eightness. I don't know if y'all are into Enneagram, but I am an Enneagram eight and I have constantly just been apologizing for my entire life for, I'm sorry for challenging you. I'm sorry for challenging you. It's been good. <laughs> I get it. I'm a three overachiever. <laughs> yes. I appreciate what you said about your voice, though. That's something that I think many of us, especially females in ministry, that have to be reminded and encouraged, encouraged and empowered from time to time of you have a voice, use it. And Chris, for so long, I like to sit back and listen. And that's a great thing. But I have good thoughts. You have good thoughts. You have something to bring to the table. So make sure you have your voice and use it. That was, it was big for me. Yeah. <laughs> Joyce, I think we should be an accountability group and that way we can remind each other. I like it. Okay. I like it a lot. Let's do okay. it. <laughs> so once you got to resurrection, 
how did things start? Like what, what were some of the first things that you did to become assimilated into the church and to meet the partners? Were they already existing? Did you jump in with both feet and start courting other people like Will? Oh, no. No. <laughs> no. Uh, the first thing I did was hang out with my friend, Cherie, who is also now my boss. And I would just join Zoom calls with her and she would introduce me to people and I would just watch and listen and take notes and like ask questions and then debrief with her after the meeting and be like, so why did you say that? Why didn't you ask about this? Like, and we would just kind of be like, oh, because you have to like, okay, that makes sense. I jumped in and with both feet as much as you possibly can during a global pandemic. Ideally, I would have gone and met these folks around the world instead of just been on Zoom calls. But we did the best we could with what we had. So it was great. Uh, we take we took the opportunity to like be like a person who had been in the mission department forever and the person who has fresh eyes to kind of evaluate all of our training and kind of go through all of our um, stuff. So we rehaul we overhauled a lot of things. And that was kind of cool to do a deep dive, like right as I was starting, um, just be like, oh, this is the, their identity as this is their this is their missional philosophy. Like they're this is what they're doing. Like I, I was intimately familiar with it by the time I had to teach it to people, which was good. All right. So you've mentioned training and you've mentioned teaching. You know, we have we have partners all over the country and I'm not sure that any of them prepare as much as intentionally and as intensely as the groups that come from resurrection do. And my assumption in part is of course that you want to do a good job. I get that. But I also wonder if just because you are the church that you are and kind of all eyes in some sense are on church of the resurrection, I know you all have to be incredibly careful about everything that you do. So would you talk a little bit about, you know, when someone signs up for a, you all call them serve trips and someone signs up for a serve trip and they're going to come to Costa Rica, what is the process from the time they've signed up for that trip? Well, actually start with how they even find out. How do you, how do people in a church, the size of your church, even find out that there's an opportunity to go somewhere on a mission trip? And then from the time they've signed up until the day that they leave, what is what's involved in the meantime? We do two promotional Sundays a year, one in the fall and one in like January, where Pastor Adam stands in front of everybody and says, I want you to go on a serve trip. We have this many slots to fill and our partners are expecting us. Please go on a serve trip. Um, and then I jokingly said, why don't we just give them cookies? Go on a serve trip. Have a cookie. And they took me very seriously because so now they all get cookies yeah like literally we have our we have this um sassy how many in i know right um i was like that would be motivating enough for me um <laughs> but um no we have this ministry for folks with special needs called the matthews ministry and they've started a bakery called the sunflower bakery because we're in kansas and sunflowers are a big deal and they make cookies and we have them make four thousand or more cookies every august now and they stick a sticker on it and it has like a qr code or the website to like go sign up for a surf trip so it's like yeah we come up with corny slogans like no matter how the cookie crumbles a surf trip will be the sweetest part of your 2022 like yeah we're we're not in marketing but we try our best 
<laughs> I love this. Yeah. And it's also a lot of word of mouth. Like our team leaders are incredible. They're all lay leaders. And so they'll invite their entire small groups. They'll invite people they meet in the grocery store. I think the craziest one I had was somebody who invited their pedicurist and she came. And I was like, that's so cool. <laughs> like, um, We have like families that go together. We have multi-generational teams. Sometimes we'll have teams that come from specific church locations. We're one church in six locations. Sometimes the, the campus pastor will want to take his leadership team or her leadership team and they um they, they take it as an opportunity to just kind of like spend some intentional time to bond to get to know but also to do something productive and and be part of that long-term relationship we have with our partners so you said that you have how many people on as a staff member for your missions but all of your teams are lay leader led yeah for the most part like sometimes Sheree or I'll lead a trip, but it's just because we like doing it, not because, <laughs> yeah, because we have to. Um, so yeah, ninety percent of our trips are lay leader led. Uh, we kind of have this structure where each context where we go, or each country has a um, context leader, and so usually it's a context team. There are two people. In Will's case, it's Rod and Sharon, and they're fantastic human beings. Who we, we love Rod and Sharon. They're great. They really, really are. They work directly with Will. They kind of help prep the teams because I'm one person and I have six different things going all the time. And so they kind of help keep me on on track. <laughs> hey, and I, I complain constantly to Ashley that you know she gets feedback about the Broken Banquet podcast because she's in a church surrounded by people who are listening and, you know, hey, that was good. That was interesting, whatever. Um, and I don't. I don't get that kind of feedback on a regular basis, except Rod Henning listens to every episode and almost every time will send me some kind of a message about the episode. So, Rod, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for being a loyal Broken Banquet podcast listener. I love hey, that. Rod. I Yeah, no, he's so good. Like, I've learned so much from Rod. He has, like, so many tips and tricks for, like, mm -hmm. managing stuff well. And I'm just thankful for him all the time. <laughs> so, training, preparation. How do you all prepare people for their trip? Great question. So we have roughly 10 hours of training that we put people through. That equates to roughly four meetings in person and I think four hours of online training with watching videos, taking quizzes. And so our first training is called community team preparation. And that's basically just your general information on how not to be a jerk when you're tra traveling somewhere that is different from where you are. And so like just cultural like competency and, and things like that um, are, are what we hit on. We tell a lot of stories from like past trips and, and things like that to kind of illustrate points and to explain like why we don't do certain things. And that really seems to help folks. <laughs> There's some skits that we do sometimes and that's great. And then they like that, that is like our largest training and it's, anywhere from 40 to 80 people it happens maybe twice a year we'd like to just do it once and then oh so so no matter where they're going they, they all come go together oh, yeah all interesting and then okay. like that's the first hour of that training the second hour they'll go into like breakout rooms and they will meet with their their team and then they'll just talk through like we're going to schedule our three more trainings plus a social gathering of some kind so we get to know each other and we have a little bit of a better idea of like 
who's going and then they'll talk through like team assignments like if there's a nurse the nurse normally always gets to be the first aid person or who's gonna lead devotions is someone different gonna lead devotions let's have a sign up it's all of that really down to brass tacks plus they'll like get like a, a virtual tour of their accommodations and where they're going kind of talk through very specific Costa Rica things we try to answer most frequently asked questions in that meeting but usually we're surprised by a new question and then so you you know how it goes yeah (laughs) yeah and let me just jump in for a second one of the things that 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 process also does you mentioned that big church six campuses you may have people going to the same church for years and years and years and have never met before so it right it gives them a chance I mean, you've got to do something so that people aren't just meeting for the first time at the airport when they get on the plane, right? Okay, so wild, wild that you say that. So uh, post-COVID, we are now in this new reality where online is like a thing, and we are fully leaning into that. So like we have online participants all over the time who are like joining via Zoom. And so we've had to get really creative. That's the first training, right? And they have... I think an hour of online training that they have they're required to go through before they even attend that training. So we have like four modules. Um, and basically, if they do the four modules, the in-person should essentially be like a review plus stories, which is great. Who doesn't love story time? And then um, their next training will be cultural training. And that's usually led by the team leader. The team leader will have each person in the room ideally assigned a different part of Costa Rica. For example, someone will talk about food, someone will talk about history, someone will talk about like statistics and all sorts of things like that so that they kind of know where they're going. We, we hope to give them a little bit of background before they're <laughs> there. Um, you mentioned the, the online thing, and I just want to say, I think it was two years ago, it was one of the first teams that came when we started having teams again. Mm-hmm. And there was a mother and a daughter who came on that team. I think I'm going to get this right. Who they don't live in Kansas City. They don't right. attend personally any of those six campuses. They just started going to Resurrection online during the pandemic. And I mean, they live in so I think they're in somewhere in Kansas or Missouri, but they're online church members and heard about the trip online, went through the whole process, and came as members of the church from this sort of online community, which is really interesting. Yeah. And now like our online community makes up 25 to 50% of our team. Wow. So like, it's a great way for folks to meet people from their church. Um, if they're on all participants. So it's really been cool to kind of watch that happen and, and be in community in that way. It makes commissioning really interesting, but like, oh, I can't. yeah. So we're trying to come up with a way to do that well, but we haven't arrived yet. So cultural training happens, and then we have emergency health and safety online training. So they watch like an hour of, I think it is Boeing that has, uh, in flight school, they talk about how like, I think 80% of people are just like waiting for someone to follow. 10% of people are like leader type people. And then there's another 10% that just engage in unhelpful behavior. So on our emergency health and safety pa- like meeting, we want to help in- help them be trained enough to not engage in that 10% <laughs> of unhelpful people. 
Um, they watch that online and then they come together in person. And usually we mesh two trainings together in this one. So they'll do like scenarios for the first half hour where it's like, this happens. What do you do <laughs> as a team member? And they, they like role play those. And then they'll, um, <laughs> this is going to sound so ridiculous, but it's it's super important. We make everybody who goes on a surf trip pack in a carry-on. Like they're only oh, yeah. allowed to bring what they can carry. I Likewise. I'm not schlepping six people's suitcases mm-hmm. on my back. Like, come on. Well, I do the same. And I, the only, the only other suitcase we bring is all of the stuff that Will or Ugito orders that from Amazon that then I have to put in a larger suitcase. But that's in our contract um, that if you're going to be long-term partners with us, you have to be an Amazon receiving station. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have done this too. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Come on, Will. Um, anyway, we, uh, we make our team leaders pack their, their carry on bag and then unpack it for everybody. So they see that it is actually possible to pack everything you need for the week in a carry on in a backpack. I recently made a video because we had students going and I was like, students do not want to watch me unpack a suitcase, but they will watch a YouTube video. So it, it actually is our most viewed video and I'm kind of proud of that. Like, can we link to that in the show notes too? We we sure can, for sure. <laughs> I will send that right over. Oh, um, I've done but, the same thing though. Like I used yeah. to do that even on our Holy Land trips. You all can do this in a carry-on bag, and so I made a video of how to pack your bag and all that. Yeah, so I can't wait to see yours. I'm happy to link that. So introduction, cultural training, emergency training. Was there a fourth one? That was the packing. So we call it the packing party and then we encourage like folks to go out and like get dinner together or something like that. But oftentimes it just gets smushed together with emergency health and safety and then they go out to dinner and it's just like one big to do. It's a lot of fun. My question is, how do you get buy-in for the people going on the trip who say, I'm already giving you a week. Now I have to come to four different trainings. I actually... I haven't really gotten that very much. I think really, yeah. Um, it's because it's just like anytime anybody ever pushes back, it's usually like we have like other people who have gone through the process to be like, no, you really need this. This is important. You'll actually gain from this, and plus, it's good to know who you're going with. I think I have. I'm spoiled in that it's been a long established pattern okay. when I. When I led trips for my mid-sized church before I came to Resurrection, I did have that question a lot, and I was always frustrated by it. But I don't have the answer. <laughs> I was going to say, I think it's because it's just the expectation. I think people know now, if you even get to the point where you're interested in the trip, you already know that that's a part of it. I think you would probably have to be brand new to the church to think that you can sign up for a serve trip buy your ticket and show up at the airport to go and you're ready because how how soon do people what is your deadline okay what is your deadline for having people sign up for your trip for sure yeah no we encourage them to sign up six months out is really the best time to do it but four four months out is our deadline because that's when the training starts okay it's about four months 
away from the trip. And a lot of our team leaders like to do like book studies or like create like a little small group curriculum or something for their groups. So the more time they get to spend together, the better experience they tend to have in country. And so we really encourage that. Do you do four months of follow up after the trip? Yeah, actually, we encourage them to have like a um, a six like a, a team debrief the week after they get back. You just kind of check in and be like, "How is it with your soul? What are what is like sticking out in your memory? Let's let's just talk through. Let's eat dinner together." Like usually, every team I've led, we just have like a potluck and everybody brings a random thing they love. That's the one thing we do, and then we have a reunion, and that's always a great party. Um, and some groups choose to meet even more than those two like the two things. They have a six-month Jesus letter that will come to them in the mail that they wrote to themselves on their mission trip while they were processing it, while everything was fresh. It's kind of like, what intentions do you hope that you set and how do you want to grow? And so they'll get that and then they'll come to their six-month reunion and it's lovely. But we've had a lot of teams just like have regular game nights and like start a small group and like continue serving together in community. So while they're on the trip, they write themselves a letter about what they're feeling while they're on the trip and then turn it in to you or to someone at the church or the team leader. And then six months later, that letter gets delivered, which I think is because we all know how easy it is to have this sort of mountaintop experience. And then you get home and just get right back into your routine and everything goes back to sort of how it was to be reminded by yourself in your own words of what what was going on i think that's that's fantastic yeah i i've had a lot of people who find it really meaningful even me i find it meaningful i did that on my first surf trip and it was really good Mm -hmm. so yeah that's the training and that's the follow-up we have all sorts of paperwork there's trip evaluations and if anybody wants to talk about their trip i meet with them and have coffee and so just as much or as little follow-up as they want, really, at that point. Well, you've given me really, really good ideas of how we need to reimagine our trips. And I think that that's a trap that I fell into after COVID of I haven't gone back into trip planning, into trip preparation for, for upcoming things. So there's a whole reimagining that can take place. So thanks for being the encouragement for that. I almost want to just go through your training. Just be part you of a trip preparation. Totally could if you wanted to. I would welcome you. Yeah, and I would love your feedback, honestly. I think it would be, so, be better. <laughs> it would be so good, I think. Well, we'll talk about that later. Um, okay. I do want to ask about, uh, so you have all these different contexts, all these different mission partners. Uh, yeah. How are the relationships different? Do you send teams everywhere with every partner or... How do those look different? So we have three partnerships right now where we're not sending teams. And that would be Lebanon, Eurasia. We have a partnership with Ukraine right now. And obviously we can't send teams to Ukraine. Um, And then also Haiti. Right now there's just too much unrest in Haiti for us to send teams. And it's it's a huge bummer. And we miss our partners because we use like Lebanon and Ukraine. We haven't sent partners. We haven't sent teams in a while, like quite a while. And intentionally, but in in Haiti, it's been more recent. I think for the past four years, we haven't sent teams, and we have people that are very engaged and want to go. 
who are longing to go and see their friends. But otherwise, yes, we send teams to all of the contexts. We have three in the Western Hemisphere, and those are the ones that I'm responsible for. And that's the U.S.-Mexico border, Costa Rica, and Honduras. So our context leaders, who are like the point people for each context, will go once a year to kind of meet with our partners and just kind of talk through the upcoming year, how many trips they want, how many trips would be helpful, what are their needs. And then we talk about what went well, what didn't go well, how can we tweak, what could we change, um, those types of conversations. And that is kind of one of the core things that we that we do because <laughs> um, a staff person will go with them every time. And we we really just evaluate like the, the health of the partnership and have hard conversations if we need to. So that's been really- on my calendar. You're on my calendar on I my know. whiteboard for our context trip in Woo. November 16th to 20th. See ya. Awesome. I love that we have the same date. That's good news. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's kind of the process. And then we send however many teams they we've de- we've mutually decided together are are necessary or helpful. Sorry, I've been on mute because my family decided to wake up and move her out beside me. No. <laughs> I know that you you helped train or prepare the the youth group that came this summer to work with us. Yes. When you were thinking about sitting with those young people and preparing them for this trip and then being with them on this trip, what were the things that you were most hopeful that they were going to get? Truthfully, I have such a variety of students, but they're all great, great, great humans. And my number one hope for them was that, that they would see mission being done healthy in a healthy way and that they would understand that there's multiple ways to do mission and it's not all toxic because right now they have this narrative in their brain of, oh, we're paternalistic. Oh, we're white saviors and that's terrible. We shouldn't be going on this trip. I have had to have several coffees with some of those students one on one before they would even get on the plane. Um, so, and I was, I was thrilled that they were asking those questions and, and thinking about those things and know that to me, they're super intentional and they want to do like this generation in general is super intentional. And I think that they just want everyone to be the best version of themselves they can be. And that translates into everything that they do. As I was training them and preparing them, my only hope for them was that they would see things being done in a healthy way. And that they would internalize that and grow and try to translate that into their lives in general. Because I know a lot of them want to be like in helping professions and doing things like that. And I think that this can translate over into that and it can really help them be the best version of themselves. Well, I'm really thankful if we can be, if our relationship with your church can can create sort of a counter narrative to to the one that is so so prevalent and i'm i'm really encouraged that there's young people who are are asking those hard questions that are even aware i think it's i mean i certainly wasn't when i started coming down here as a teenager i wasn't had no concept of how things could be done in a way that weren't helpful or healthy and so the fact that you've got you know high schoolers who are actually saying, like, who even know what the word paternalistic means. Right. 
and and are concerned about not being that. I sent Ashley a message last week. I preached in uh, in North Carolina last weekend and and preached what I, I mean. I, you know, I felt good about it. It was a sermon about abiding, which I love talking about and about you know sitting at the table as equals. But someone came up to me after the after the service and said that was the best anti-colonial, anti-imperialist sermon I've ever heard. And I was like, holy cow, like, first of all, thanks for not just saying, hey, I really enjoyed your thing you did, um, which I get a lot. But the fact that you were listening so carefully that even though I was not really, I didn't think that's what I was really saying. But if, if you're already sort of thinking about those things, I can see how my message about us sitting at the table as equals would kind of make it would resonate. And so, and that was coming from an adult. And so the fact that you're having those conversations with teenagers, I think is just fantastic. I'm really glad that you are there to have those conversations with them. Well, and I think that's, that's one of our greatest opportunities is through this podcast, I, I imagine that teenagers probably aren't listening, but it's that group of our age of people and up that have grown up doing missions one way. And then the pendulum swung so far because of when helping hurts and toxic charity and started bringing all these things to life. And for a lot of churches and a lot of people, that meant mission stopped. You know, it had to, it, it was just a different way of looking at things. And what do we do? We, we're frozen because we don't want to make any mistakes. And then now people are starting to get back in and figure out, well, how do we recreate this to be in such a healthy model? And what you said, Joyce, is that every partnership and every context is different. And that's something that we have to remember as mission leaders, as a, just as churchgoers and mission-minded people, is that every situation, every relationship is different. And, and so we have to treat it as such and treat it as creating for Will, creating for Stefania, creating for Joyce, creating for Ashley. So what what are our different ways of, of viewing those things? So I think you hit it up the nail on the head. And if the teenagers and students can teach us anything uh, about being intentional, that's what abiding really is all about, is being intentional. Well, Joyce, thank you so much for spending this morning with us. It's been wonderful to have you on and, and to have you share a little bit more about what you do at the church and the ways that you all prepare and the way that you foster these relationships. So I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful to get you connected to Ashley. I'm honored. Thank you for having me. And Joyce, maybe we can become friends and texting buddies. Maybe I could come up for some like training to be a part of that. I think it would just be so great to get to know you better. Well, Ashley, I'll see you in a few minutes. Joyce, I'll see you in a few weeks. Oh. That was great spending the morning with both of you. Take care, y'all. Will I see you in September? Oh, my goodness. Every time you said September, that was what was running through my mind. Bye, Will. No idea. Bye, guys. You've been listening to The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Music provided by Irene and the Sleepers. Join us next week for another episode. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come to the feast.